for an accordion player, you, uh, you've done rather well. Um, uh, your, your first arrangement that, you, uh, that I've read that you, had, uh, that you did, uh, when you were quite young, you sold to Lionel Hampton. How did that come about? Uh, I was uh, arranging, I was learning arranging uh, in uh, Los Angeles City College, which is a, a junior college, as, as we call it. Uh, and there was a really great teacher in the class named Bob McDonald. He's no longer with us, but Bob was so young when I first came into the class that I didn't know which one was the teacher and uh, whether he was a student, you know. And uh, it turned out he had played trumpet uh, with some big bands and uh, actually he played fourth trumpet with Glenn Miller one time. Fantastic arranger, fantastic teacher and LA City College had a big 17-piece dance band uh, that would rehearse twice a week and they won many awards on the all high school band awards, uh, things of that nature. And he taught me basic arranging, uh, basic orchestration arranging for uh, band, orchestra, things like that. Now, the strange part of that was that one of the students in the class liked the arrangement I had done for Nature Boy. It took me three months to write it, and it was played uh, at, at a school lawn, you know, at one of the presentations of the band. And, uh, he liked it so much that he collected the music that night. And uh, I was always so busy because in addition to going to City College, I was playing accordion at night in a nightclub. Uh, and, and it was a wonderful job for me because I'd be 40 minutes on the stand. And that was part of your arrangement, I believe. You, you did a lot of arrangements with uh, Stan Laurel and Oliver Hardy. <laughs> no, but I love them, <clears throat> and I hope that was not a comment on what I was saying. <laughs> uh, it was a uh, revolving bandstand, and uh, I'd have my homework for City College sitting on a table as I got off the bandstand, and I'd do my homework for college. I only took uh, three courses uh, uh, arranging, uh, counterpoint, and conducting. I didn't want to take any of the extra courses for college credit. I just wanted to learn. And uh, this, so I was so busy, I didn't even think about collecting my music. Uh, and this young man collected my music, took it over to Lionel Hampton. Lionel Hampton played it, loved it, and bought it from the young man. <laughs> and, that, and that was your first... Uh, that was my first arrangement that was ever sold to a big band because I was still in my teens when I went to City College. I, I, so, so this would, would have been what year? Approximately. I'm not going to tell you. Either. Okay, thanks. <laughs> that, that's no problem. I understand. I understand. <laughs> you wouldn't trust anyone who would tell you the correct age. That's true. That's right. Because I intend to be in this business at least another 20 years. I, I hope so. Yes. I certainly hope so. More than that. <laughs> okay, um, I like that. Uh, so I then went, uh, I, I told the young man, I said, you owe me some money. He said, I'm sorry, I spent it. I really needed the money. So I went to see Lionel Hampton, and uh, 
He said, yeah, I really like that chart. He says, but uh, uh, that's a sad story you just told me, but I'm, I'm going to keep it because I paid for it. He says, so write me another arrangement. So I did. And he paid me for it, $125, which was really an amazing amount of money. <laughs> In those days, which you're not going to tell me which days those were. That's right. I'm not going to tell you which. Okay. And uh, after that, I began uh, arranging for various people, and I got into the record business. Do you have another question? Yes, I do. I've got, I'm going to. I've got loads of questions. So, oh, okay. So just I can ramble on. I know. I love it when you do. That. <laughs> uh, well, just get, getting a little bit more uh, background on the sort of studying side. Uh, you talk about studying with Spud Murphy and his uh, his twelve tone system. Right. Uh, so can you speak Before that, I studied accordion with Jimmy DeMichael, who spelled his name as if it were pronounced DeMichel, and some of his family did pronounce it that way. Jimmy taught me from piano literature, classical, uh, and popular music, and uh, when he felt I was good enough, uh, I played in his band. He, he had a, uh, what I would call a society swing band, and I played in it on Saturday nights. And uh, then he said, now I want you to go out and get some experience. I said, well, you've taught me everything. He says, I haven't taught you everything. <laughs> and uh, he introduced me to Spud Murphy and said, now Spud will further your ability to know about music and uh, uh, arranging and things of that nature. Spud came up with a 12-tone, he calls it a, a form of 12-tone system, uh, not the same as the... Uh, Schoenberg and Berg, yes, they both use them. Yeah. Uh, he simply says there are 12 tones in the modern scale. And he says you're going to learn every possible chord that can occur using any of those 12 tones. So that by the time you're through, if you hear a chord being played on the air, you know exactly what chord it is. You won't have to run to a piano and say, what is it? And I enjoyed that course very much. And uh, by then, I had uh, already had uh, a year of uh, L.A. City College, and I'd learned quite a bit. And I was beginning to get a little egotistical about because I'd been successful. And he had a page that he read to me very slowly about what he was going to teach me. And I skimmed through the page. And I said, all right, listen, I just read that page. Let's go to the next page. And he said, listen, you. it took me 12 years to reach the point where you could read this in one sitting, and I'm going to take it at my speed. <laughs> the man is 92 now. He has an amazing memory. I mean, I wish my memory was as good as his. You're going to ask me some questions that I won't be able to answer. Okay, well, I'm going to ask you some questions that you can answer. Oh, okay. this, one is a, this one is a general one rather than a specific one, uh, because I'm going to get back to the, the details of your life. But um, how would you say that a pop arranger has to differ from a jazz arranger or any other kind of arranger? Well, uh, the pop arranger works with melodies uh, that are similar to those that became popular in the 30s, 40s, and 50s before rock and roll came around. And uh, jazz and swing started to come in, but swing is now considered to be pop also. Sinatra, believe it or not, was a pop singer who swung. And so a lot of the songs that Frank Sinatra sang were pop songs. And the pop arranger has to know 
how to support those kind of songs because if you're going to put a rap rhythm section to it, you're no longer appealing to the people who like pop songs. You may appeal to the other people who will suddenly discover the old pop song, but it's no longer a pop arrangement. You can put swing licks to it, and that becomes swing and it's still pop. You can put jazz licks to it, uh, and as long as you hear the melody, it's pop. But the minute you go to the instrumental, it's no longer pop because you've got a bunch of guys going way out in left field, then the jazz people would love it, and the pop people may or may not love it. Well, let's, let's say, for instance, that uh, you're approached tomorrow to do an arrangement for, say, an artist like Sheryl Crow or any, any, one, any one of the contemporary artists, uh, mm -hmm. um, or even, or even it, it might be a rap song, or it might be uh, an R&B ballad. How, how would you approach that differently than if you were, for instance, doing a jazz instrumental of that same song? First of all, I, I think the song and the artist's style determine how the arrangement should be written. Now, Sheryl Crow already has a particular style. As you know, I did two arrangements for her. In her particular case, the songs were written, she had already sung them, and the rhythm uh, to her own rhythm section. That made it very easy. Uh, we then discussed uh, the style. I like when I'm talking to uh, new artists who have an idea of what they want, or new producers who have an idea of what they want. I like them to mention their favorite records. Then I know what style they're talking about. And uh, that would be easy to do, but if I were just to choose on my own to do it, I would let the song determine how I'm going to write it. I would let the singer sing. I would just accompany them uh, if I'm going from from scratch, uh, and uh, if they were a swing artist, I would have a swing rhythm section. If they're a jazz artist, I would have a jazz rhythm section. Uh, the rhythm fill-ins would be the same jazz uh, type of fill-ins that you have on your recordings, and uh, the uh, swing would be uh, more like the old-fashioned swing. The pop fill-ins would be uh, the very melodious counter melodies. And those are the main differences. Now, um, let's talk a little bit about your own personal working methods when you are given an arrangement to, to do. Now, of course, a lot of people today are using computers to do their arrangements. Uh, do you start with the pen and paper? Do you start with the... Uh, I start with pencil and paper and eraser. <laughs> and uh, I think about the song for a while. And then as an idea pops into my head, I jot it down on, on paper. Uh, and I start out by making a sketch. Uh, if I always ask them for a lead sheet or a court sheet. If neither one of those exists, I will make myself a lead sheet by listening to them sing. Uh, maybe they have a demo of it. Uh, and I'm working now with a girl who doesn't have demos. She just sings. Uh, songs, so now I'm adding the, the harmonies to it. 
on determining the styles. Uh, I have discussed with her uh, what the styles are. Um, Alicia Keys recently won uh, a lot of Grammys, and so obviously she's uh, in demand. And a couple of these girls, of this particular girl's song, songs, fit the style of Alicia Keys. So I'm writing one as if it were an Alicia Keys ballad, and I'm arranging the other uh, as if it were an Alicia Keys up to. And uh, Alicia Keys isn't purely pop, isn't purely rap, isn't purely jazz. She's got a little touch of all of them in, in her arrangements, and I like that. That's one of the main differences between pop arrangements of years ago and modern arrangements. The pop arrangements of years ago had very simple lines, easy to write for. The uh, arrangements of today may have three things going on at once. When you're uh, actually recording the arrangement, uh, when you go to the studio, for instance, I mean, uh, I would assume that you're not only doing strings and brass, but sometimes you're providing the whole rhythm section. Are you involved also in, in the, the programming side? You mean for the uh, synthesizer? Yes, or for using drum machines or, or that kind of thing. Uh, sometimes, if, if I have to do uh, the, uh, if it requires synthesized rhythm section, I'll do it myself downstairs in, in my own studio. And then I'll bring it to the, uh, the studio uh, where we're going to have the live instruments overdub. I, I don't have my own studio set up for live recording, although I have recorded live solo voices and live solo violin. But uh, I never intended to uh, set up this room downstairs to be a, uh, a real soundproof studio. Do you, do you do your parts, uh, do you have your parts copied, obviously, by, by a copyist? Yes, and, I've and, been working the, with the same copyist, Dave Ward, now for about 30 years. He told me it's longer than that, but I can't think any longer than that. <laughs> and we've reached the point now, he lives 300 miles from here, and uh, we've reached the point now where I, uh, I write out my arrangements as quickly as I can on score paper, on... Uh, eight and a half by 14 score paper. And uh, I will fax it up to him. He faxes, well, for a long time, he faxed me back the, uh, the string part, the brass parts, whatever it was he copied off. But now we do a, uh, a new way. It's a little cleaner. He uh, emails it to me using the Finale program. I don't know how to use Finale, but I know how to, how to receive it and print it out. Great, yeah. I actually, I've got, what you just said is almost exactly my story. I've been using the same guy for, for 27 years, and, yeah. and actually he's just retired, so I'm really depressed I've had to find Oh, well, I'll introduce you to my man. Yeah, great. <laughs> no problem. Dave, Dave Ward, he lives in Grass Valley. Thank you, thank you. Um, tell me about working with string sections and brass sections. Now, uh, how important, for instance, is it for you to be working with uh, a concert master that you really know well and knows you well. Very important. And I'm going to tell you a, a story that goes way back. Uh, many years ago, the uh, the standard pop rock arrangements used eight violins. Then they graduated to eight violins, two violas, and two cellos. Cello, cello. 
violi. I'll continue to say cellos and violas because that's the common pronunciation. And I had eight concertmasters, meaning that these were the top violinists in town. It was the worst section I'd ever had because they all wanted to play their own style. And then one of them walked up to me, a fellow named Sid Sharp, and said, Jimmy, you don't seem to have a concertmaster in particular. May I be your concertmaster? I'll make things run smoothly. And I thought, okay, I was in the middle of, you know, trying to straighten things out. And from then on, all my string work was wonderful. I would say, let's make a change in bar 34. Instead of an A, let's make it uh, a C natural. And uh, I would then, Having said that to the, to the violins, I would then go on and talk to another sectionist. One of the other violinists would say, what, did he say C natural or C sharp? And Sid would turn around and say, he said C natural. And I, I was out of that part of it now. I'd already done my job. And Sid, after a while, one day I was about, uh, uh, I had to do, well, there, there were many days when I had to do three sessions in the same day. And I was running from session to session. One of them went overtime. That didn't give me much time to come to the next session. So one day I was like three minutes late and there was Sid talking to the string player saying, Jimmy wants it played this way. That is the value of a concert master who knows your work. Great. Uh, let's talk about um, do's and don'ts in arranging. If you were to be you know, lecturing a group of would-be arrangers in, in pop music, what would be just a few of your do's and don'ts? I'd say do listen to all your favorite arrangements and try to transcribe them on paper or transcribe them any way that you want to. If you're fast enough to transcribe them directly to keyboard and onto a computer and have it show up on the page, that's fine. Any way that you can get it on paper because eventually you're going to have to get it on paper when you write arrangements because that's what the musicians read is notes on paper. And so I'd say, listen to your favorite arrangements, transcribe. Now, find somebody that, who knows what they're doing, who can read very well and who can correct you. You need a, a teacher, a mentor, uh, a fine musician, and eventually reach the point of where you know that what you have heard and transcribed onto paper is actually what was played. Once you learn that process, you can reverse it and start writing because you already know how other people write. What not to do, it was told to me in my uh, early class with Bob McDonald at the LA City College, the common fault of new arrangers is over-arranging. And so it is still true today, the common fault of many arrangers is over-arranging. I got my first Grammy for Ode to Billy Joe. I had four violins, two cellos, and a girl sitting on a stool playing guitar. She had already recorded her guitar. This was Bobby Gentry. And I had a very small string section because we were recording the next day with a group called the Checkmates. And then Kelly Gordon, the producer at Capitalist, come on over, I just signed a girl and I want you to write a new arrangement tomorrow we'll throw it on at the end of the session. And in listening to it, I said, okay, what do you want me to do? Up to then I was used to being shown demos. And they said, and people would always say, Jimmy, just take the demo, the demonstration recording, and expand it, you know, orchestrate it, throw on a few other ideas, but essentially go with the demo. And so I said, well, so what do you want me to do with it? And Kelly said, I don't care what you do with it. Nobody's ever going to hear it. Well, that 
gave me a chance to think, and I listened to it. Now here's this, this long piece that went four and a half minutes long. That wasn't the original. <laughs> Just hang on until he's through. Okay. Um, there is this piece that was four and a half minutes long, and uh, there was a girl singing essentially in the same key with kind of blues pattern chords progression, meaning that the, the, the chords stayed the same every verse, every chorus. And I thought, okay, there's no bass on it. What can I do to not make it sound? Weird, you know. Uh, so I said, I can't have a cello play doom, doom, or doom, 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 doom. That's too much, and that's that's rock and roll. That wasn't a rock tune. And also, he would get tiresome playing those same notes over again. So I thought, okay, what's the fewest notes I can have him play and still have him sound? So here's one, two, two, It's three notes every two bars. Cello playing do, 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 and that worked for me, and he would play similar notes as the chords changed. It wasn't too much. It allowed the song to come through, and the girl's guitar playing. And then I got a Grammy for writing the string arrangements. Well, I had the strings play the intro, the violins, and the, uh, four violins, two cellos. The violins and one cello, because now I play, other cellos playing a bass line. Played the intro, didn't play again for an entire minute. And after that, they came in with little splashes of what I would call color, tone color. Little splashes here and there. And then I, uh, so my idea of arranging is accompany the singer, stay out of the way, come in with a little bit of flash once in a while, and then get out of the way again. And in my early days as an arranger, because I had had some very strict training from legitimate teachers. I thought, okay, you've got, like in the key of C, a dominant chord of G7, it must go to a C chord. You cannot have it end on the G7 and not go to the C chord because it leaves you hanging. Later on, I came to realize that the arrangement was not the featured artist, the instrumentalist or the vocalist was. So I would leave it hanging from time to time because I didn't need the next note. Not to my ears, not to the common uh, listener's ears, not to the average listener's ears. And so every once in a while the musicians would say, Jimmy, that feels weird stopping there. And I said, yeah, do it anyway. <laughs>